Good day once again and welcome back to the podcast. Today it's Sunday, the 8th of December, 1946. And if there's a theme to today's episode, it's snippets. Snippets of this and snippets of that. But before we hear Bet's musings, we'll return briefly to the story of UNRWA. Chapter 26 Displaced Persons Around the World UNRWA's displaced person programs in Austria and Italy were patterned after those in Germany, although on a smaller scale. The camps were organised in much the same way and UNRWA performed essentially the same services. In Italy, the problem of returning to their home thousands of Italians who'd fled crossfire and bombings increased the size of the job. In the Far East, the displaced persons program assumed enormous proportions. The European refugees were a long boat trip from their homelands. Chinese refugees were dispersed throughout Southwest Asia and millions upon millions of men, women and children had been driven from their homes within China's borders during the long years of fighting. Some 15,000 European refugees, mostly Jews who had fled to escape political persecution, received UNRWA care in China, and a substantial proportion of them were repatriated. About 20,000 overseas Chinese were returned to their before-the-war places of residence, and many others were given care. We'll resume the story of UNRWA in further episodes. But now, the musings from Bet in Nanchang are a little different. Today it's not a letter written home, but rather snippets of interesting observations she's accumulated over time. You'll recall from earlier episodes that she asked her family to ensure they hung on to the letters she wrote home because she wasn't keeping a detailed diary as well. The letters were her diary. But in addition to that, and tucked away in the treasure trove of letters, were some short snippets, things that she hadn't included in the letters, but had struck her as interesting at the time. So it's over to Bet. Incident on our picnic trip to Cowan. Marge and Joan Curtis and I with Mr. Pet and Air Pen. We were looking for the turn-off from the main road which would lead us to the temple, Water of Life Temple. Air Peng made inquiries along the road from coolies and villages, and we appeared to be heading the right way. Then we found, on inquiry, that we had overshot the mark by about five kilometres, even though we had our eyes peeled for a likely track all the way. Air Peng, thereupon, invited a small, dishevelled boy to act as our guide, using the jeep ride as an inducement. Great excitement was registered by the child's family, a most unexpected acquisition of face for them. The little boy looked only seven or eight years old, but turned out to be 15. Went into his mud house, received from his mother a basket, a small kerosene tin, a few hundred dollars and a sunshade. With these implements, he was rather fearfully urged to clamber on the side of the back seat right behind Pet, the Dutchman, who was driving. I have to admit, 
that the light little boy looked very tattered and torn in his old cotton padded jacket, grey short pants and straw coolie shoes. And he had a bit of a runny nose and a sore patch on the leg. Pet was apparently thinking on much the same lines because he simply, and very seriously, turned up his coat collar, pulled his coat a little closer around him and said in his own peculiar accent, I hope this small boy doesn't have too many fleas. The presence of some fleas was a foregone conclusion so far as Pet was concerned. We had a very hilarious party two nights ago. There were many heavy heads yesterday morning. Some persons still hilarious and not by any means ready to work. A number of most amazing and really silly conversations were heard all around the place and many silly little mistakes being made, all credited to the party of the night before. The party spirit must have been catching. I found Wu number one, carrying around the tray with morning teas, stop outside the linen press and knock loudly on the door, saying, How many tea? This morning, I was travelling along one of the main roads of Nanchang in the jeep. I saw, walking along the side of the road, three men, all dressed in long Chinese robes, who immediately caught my attention. One of them had some heavy rope tied around his waist, over his shoulders, around his neck, and knotted in the middle of his back with two long ends. The second man held the ends of the rope and walked alongside with an air of unconcern. The third man held, pointed at the ground, and all at the ready, a pistol of some heavy, rather antique-looking calibre. I imagine that you would be curious too, but the Chinese people milling all around did not take the least bit of notice. On inquiry, through David Wu, who happened to be with me, I discovered that the man in the noose had just been arrested and was being conducted to the police station where he was to be charged with some petty theft. Strange place, China. With Pet and Air Peng, I went yesterday for a short lunchtime drive around the city in the course of which we inspected a tall pagoda. Before arriving at the foot of the pagoda, we found ourselves inside some former temple, now converted into an army office. Air Peng, who is a section chief in the Ministry of the Interior, Nanking, introduced himself to the big shot who accosted us and then introduced Pet. I was left standing in the background. As soon as the short meeting was over, Air Peng said to me, To you, I must beg your pardon for not making introduction. It is often very difficult. In Chinese custom, it is an insult to a man to introduce a woman to him. And on this occasion, it seems to me that I must follow the Chinese and not your Western custom. Please forgive me. I hope you understand. I have noticed this happened before. It is a strange thing to get used to, being ignored. But that is a lot of women in China. They are used to it and expect nothing else. An invitation was issued to one of the leading citizens of Nanchang, asking him to attend a dinner party given by UNRWA for their Chinese friends. The reply duly came back. I thank you for the invitation. It is with regret that I inform you because of my disposition I am not able to accept. 
it subsequently appeared that the gentleman is not temperamental, but that he was suffering with dengue fever. A Chinese friend asked me whether I would type out a letter which he had drawn in reference to an application for a job. He realised his shortcomings so far as coping with the English language was concerned and asked for my comments on his composition. I read the draft through. Not too bad, really, but I had to chuckle over. If you will be so kind as to flavour me with an interview. Another Chinese friend, who I have mentioned as my instructor in the lingo while he's in Nanchang, asked if it was quite in order to call me Suta pronouncing it more like Suda. I said that it was not usual without the missus, but that he may call me Betty. He replied that he preferred Suda, so I obligingly agreed. During my lesson last night, I asked him to tell me the Chinese equivalents for terms of endearment, such as dear, darling, etc. He looked a little confused, but then laughed heartily and said that amongst other Suda means sweetheart. What a name to come to China with. My nickname of Boo means no. My friends here, therefore, say that I am a sweetheart, but a no girl. Have I mentioned that the Amar keeps my shoe cleaning rag beautifully washed and ironed? Cloth is precious to the Chinese. One of our officers was making an inspection of the contents of one of the go-downs, warehouses, to ascertain whether there were any supplies there which should be in course of distribution to the relief areas in the province. A Sunra official took advantage of the visit to ask advice on how to use certain of the supplies received. He informed the Unra man that there were a number of bales of pictures of Christ, as Van told the story later, he said, Well, you know, I thought that it was a strange thing to send pictures of the Lord to the starving Chinese, but then I thought it quite possible that a missionary group might have made a present of these things to UNRWA and asked that they be distributed to the people with the relief goods. But I thought I'd better have a look at them. I asked the Sunra bloke to give me the manifest and show me the bales. The manifest read, Bales comforters. Apparently, the Chunra man had learnt sufficient about religion to know of Christ as the comforter. Almost unbelievable, isn't it? But this is China. Unra relief shipments to China reached and passed the million ton mark during the week of September the 12th. According to medical authorities and Mr. Pohl, sales store manager, the mould on your cigarette is not harmful. By placing a drop of menthol on the tip of the cigarette, the mouldy flavour will disappear. Please do not ask to exchange mouldy cigarettes. They are all equally mouldy. Extract from speech of Major General Glenn Edgerton, the new Director of China office, on his arrival here and after sitting at the meetings of the regional directors in Shanghai and Nanking. I have arrived in China so recently that I cannot hope to make important suggestions at this meeting, but I cannot refrain from saying a few words concerning a conception of mine about the relationship between the regional field officers and headquarters officers. This is a subject of which I have some experience before joining the staff of UNRWA 
and before coming to China. It is my view that, basically, the head officers exist in order to serve the regional or field officers. It is in the regional office that the real work of relief and rehabilitation must be done. The task of the headquarters is to see that the necessary guidance, the necessary instructions and advice, the necessary money, the necessary personnel and the necessary equipment are provided to enable the regional officers to do their work. This is a point which I have been emphasising to the UNRWA staff during the past week and it is one with which I am sure your distinguished chairman is in full accord. However, for the service which a headquarters gives to the regional office, it has the right to ask much in return. The regional office has the responsibility of investigating and surveying the relief and rehabilitation needs of the area which it serves. For this purpose, it has a staff of officials, both Chinese and foreign, whose duty is to determine and report the needs. Both in Washington and in Shanghai, since my arrival, I have had the opportunity to read a number of reports from regional office concerning their needs. They are generally of high quality. Extract from UNRWA Daily Bulletin issued for China Office. Wanted. Escort for Baby Panda. The New York Zoological Society is endeavouring to find some person returning soon to the United States from China who would be willing to serve as an escort to a baby panda which has been presented to the society by the Sichuan government. The society will pay all expenses incident to transport of the animal and will give an honorarium to the escort. The society specifies that the escort should have an understanding of animals and that steamer transportation is desirable. Anyone interested in accepting the assignment, please contact J.B. Beach, Embankment Building. A much publicised entry into the United States is guaranteed. Extract from Observer's Report on the Famine Area near Henyang, Hunan. Trachoma and scabies present a grave problem in that the environment in which these people are living is conducive to its spread. War and famine have reduced these people to such dire circumstances that many had only one set of clothes, while some were clothed only in rags, allowing no change of clothing while the infected clothing was debugged. Production credits for this episode, produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune from 1946, performed by the Brazilian star, Sora Garcia, De Conversa M. Conversa. De conversa em conversa, você vai arranjando um modo de brigar. Ou de palavra em palavra, você está querendo é nos separar. Parece até que o destino uniu-se com você, só pra me maltratar. Cada dia que passa é mais uma tormenta que eu deixei passar. Nosso viver não adianta, é melhor juntarmos nossos tragos. 
arrume tudo que é seu Que eu vou separando Meus Vivendo dessa maneira Não adianta não O que passou é poeira Deixa de asneira Que eu não sou limão Não sou limão eu não Não sou limão eu não Pois de conversa em conversa Você vai arranjando um modo de brigar ou de palavra em palavra, você está querendo é nos separar. Parece até que o destino eu se com você, só pra me maltratar. Cada dia que passa é mais uma tormenta que eu deixei passar. Nosso viver não adianta, é melhor juntarmos nossos tratos. Arrume tudo que é seu, que eu vou separando. Vivendo dessa maneira. Não adianta não O que passou é poeira Deixa de asneira Que eu não sou limão Não sou limão eu não Não sou limão eu não Hoje de conversa em conversa Você vai arranjando modo de briga Hoje de palavra em palavra Você está querendo é nos separar Parece até que o destino Não se com você Só pra me maltratar Cada dia que passa é mais uma tormenta que eu deixei passar. Nosso viver não adianta, é melhor juntarmos nossos tragos. Arrume tudo que é seu, que eu vou separando meus farrapos. Vivendo dessa maneira, não adianta não. O que passou é poeira, deixa de asneirar. Eu não sou limão. 